For those of you that are joining us uh, for the first time today, a few years ago, four years ago, almost exactly, uh, our family adopted my youngest son from China. And in preparation for meeting him, in order for him to get to know us a little bit and get used to seeing our faces, my wife and I ordered a little book, this book right here. And uh, we sent it, we had it sent to him. And in this book, they're not all there anymore. He's played with it, and some of the pictures have gotten lost. But in this book, there were pictures of our family, of each member of our family. And in Chinese, underneath the picture, uh, it would say family, our brother, or sister. And so this was just a way for his nannies at his orphanage to introduce him to us. And so we sent this to him a month or so before we met him, and he played with it and looked at it with his nanny, and then we picked him up. We went and we got him, and uh, for the first couple of weeks that we had him, this was, he was born in Chongqing, China, and so we walked all over the city, uh, did a lot of walking, he did a lot of riding in his stroller, and he never left this at the hotel. Everywhere we went, this was in his hand. So it got, uh, it got a lot of wear in those first couple of weeks. We went from that city to Guangzhou, uh, where the embassy is, the U.S. embassy is, and there as well, he carried this almost everywhere he went. I uh, had a little bag that used to have a strap. The strap is now gone. Some of the pictures are gone. But overall, this book, even though it's traveled all the way around the world and seen a lot of action in both China and at home, it's held up pretty well. This book has endured pretty well. You, know, you and I have been through a lot over the last week, even longer. Uh, we will probably face a lot of challenges in the weeks ahead, but we can endure. We can not only survive, as we just sang, we can thrive. And the way that we do that, the key to doing that, is having the power of the Holy Spirit, having the presence of God himself, dwelling in us, living in us, and living through us. And that is exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. We're talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and we've been in a series over the past few weeks on the doctrines of our faith, basic training. Uh, We've talked about the doctrine of God. Who is he? How does he reveal himself? Uh, the, The second week was all about how he reveals himself to us. The third week we talked about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And today we look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now if you are, this is your first time with us, you can go back on our website and you can... Uh, look at the past three weeks and, and catch up with us, but uh, you don't have to be, you don't have to see the first three to know what we're talking about and understand what we're talking about today. Today, our purpose today is to look at who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is as defined in Scripture and how he works in our lives to gain an understanding of the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit, both in our lives individually and in the life of the church. And so we're going to to take a a deep look at what that means for us this morning. Now, throughout history, really, unfortunately, in the church, the Holy Spirit 
has been neglected somewhat or, or at least misunderstood. And there are, there are a lot of reasons for that. Some, some of the reasons that the Holy Spirit has been neglected is simply because, or one of the reasons is, is really because of a misunderstanding. A lot of, of folks don't understand what the role of the Holy Spirit is. Uh, some take the Holy Spirit and, and, and what, it, what his role and his work, and they take that to an emotional extremist type uh, position to where it's all about emotion. And, and neither one of those is good. We, if we believe that God is three in one, the Trinity, which is a grand mystery, yet how God reveals himself in Scripture, if we truly believe that God is three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit should have just as much of a place of prominence in our preaching and in our teaching and in our understanding as does God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so that, that's what we want this morning, is to gain a better understanding of what the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives. Two primary problems that we look at, or we see, with the understanding of the Holy Spirit. And we see it play out in individuals and in churches. One is to ignore the Holy Spirit. Some ignore the Holy Spirit and, and, and ignore His role and work, uh, what it's supposed to be in their lives. Another problem is to pervert the Holy Spirit, uh, misunderstanding the role of the Holy Spirit or His purpose, uh, what Scripture defines as how He should work and is supposed to work in my life or in the life of the church. You know, we see this in, in a couple of different ways. One, you know, some believe that the Holy Spirit comes and goes maybe, that he's not always with us. That's a perversion of what Scripture teaches. We see this in some who believe that, that, that signs like speaking in tongues are evidence that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence, that he lives in my life, that, that, that I don't have the Holy Spirit unless I show it with a particular sign like that. And that's, that's not an accurate description. Of course, there are evidences that the Holy Spirit takes up residence, but there's, there's, there's no particular one thing like that that shows, hey, you've, you've got the Holy Spirit, you don't. There's, as we'll see, a group of things, a, a lifestyle change, fruits of the Spirit, those are evidences that I've been saved by grace. And so there's misunderstanding, there's perversion of the Holy Spirit. But again, our purpose is to, to present a biblical understanding about who the Holy Spirit is and, and what His work is is his power in my life should be and in the life of the church. The, the, this doctrine, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, can best be understood from looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is, and then the work of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit, what he does. And we see the Holy Spirit from Genesis 1-2 to Revelation 22-7. We see the Holy Spirit all through Scripture. Beginning in Genesis 1-2, the, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then fast forward all the way to the end in Revelation 22, verse 17. Both the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Anyone who hears should say, Come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Whoever desires could, should take the living water as a gift. The Spirit and the bride say, 
Now quickly, I want us to look at, we're going to spend most of our time in the New Testament understanding of the Holy Spirit, but I really quickly want to look at the Old Testament roles of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit, the creative power of God, the creative power of the Spirit of God is evident in Old Testament passages like Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, Job chapter 33 verse 4, and Job chapter 34 verses 14 and 15, Psalm 104 verse 30. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit can be described as creator. Uh, you know, the Trinity doesn't work on a swing shift with God doing the creating, uh, the Son, Jesus, doing the redeeming, and the Holy Spirit doing the completing. Um, it, the, the Trinity, while God is three, he is one, and, and God works together as one. And so the, the Spirit is, is present at creation, just as Jesus is described as the agent of creation in John chapter 1, and God the Father is described as creating. The Holy Spirit was present at creation. We also see the charismatic power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And, and put simply, what this is, you'll see biblical figures in the Old Testament. David, Saul, uh, uh, you see Elijah, Elisha, uh, Samson. You see instances where the Holy Spirit would would manifest his presence, would come on a person's life, uh, would, would fill that person and give that person special gifts and abilities to per, be performed for God's glory uh, in that particular moment. And those, that is a temporary event. The Holy Spirit would come in that instance and empower that person and possibly leave at a later time. Um, but that is in the Old Testament, and we see, but the point being here is that we do see the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament. But most of our understanding comes from the Holy Spirit's work in the New Testament, what we learn about him in the New Testament, because of the importance of his role in our lives. So let's look first at the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is he really? I mean, if we're going to understand the, whole, the Holy Spirit, we need to know who he is. You know, some think he's an emotional uh, entity or, or an it. Um, the, the use of Holy Ghost in the King James kind of contributes to this. I'm uh, not anti-King James, but they're, they're, that, that phrase, Holy Ghost, kind of brings to mind uh, that maybe the Holy Ghost is just that, an apparition or, or a, a specter or something like that, that it's not a personal being, somebody that I can know, uh, that can know me. But that is exactly who the Holy Spirit is. And, you know, a few weeks ago we looked at five different personality traits that God possesses, which make him, yes, he's God, but he's also a person. And we see those same personality traits in the Holy Spirit, intellect, will, moral consciousness, sensitivity to higher forms of feeling, self-communication. The Holy Spirit has all of these traits, plus we'll see that the Holy Spirit has a few more traits attributed to him. Uh, let's look at those traits of the Holy Spirit. For one thing, the Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit, uh, we see, uh, has the ability to think. Um, Romans eight twenty seven. he being the Father, searches the hearts of man. He knows the Spirit's mindset. The Spirit has a mind. Because he, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit has a mind, just like you and I can think and reason. Um, the Holy Spirit has a will, we see in Scripture. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one in the same spirit is active in all these distributing spiritual gifts. That's what he's distributing to each person. How? As he wills. God and the Father, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit work in unity. And the Spirit distributes gifts as he wills. He is God. He is the third person of the Trinity, but he is God and he has a will. He also has a moral consciousness. He convicts us of sin, and you have to know right from wrong to be able to convict of sin. And certainly, uh, God defines what's right and wrong. The Holy Spirit has a moral consciousness. The Holy Spirit can also be grieved. Uh, We see this. Look at Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. We grieve the Spirit through sin, through disobedience. Many ways when we... We as followers of Christ, those of us who belong to him, live in ways that don't please God. We grieve the Spirit. So he can be grieved, which tells us he's sensitive to feeling. The Holy Spirit is sensitive to feeling, which is a personality trait. Also, he is self-communicating. The Holy Spirit can communicate to you and to me. In John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He can reveal himself, communicate to us. He is personal. We can communicate to him, and he can communicate to us. In addition to these traits, the Scripture describes the Spirit as speaking, searching, testifying, commanding, revealing, striving, making intercession, all traits. And only a real person can do those things. And here's where this becomes personal. When I sin, I grieve a Holy Spirit. When I disobey God, I quench a personal spirit in my life. And all of these things, and looking at the personality traits of the Holy Spirit, when I quench the the personal spirit, when I grieve the personal spirit, I am grieving and quenching the spirit of the living God. He is fully God. And he is a per- he's not an it, an entity that I can't relate to. He is personal. He knows me, and I can know him. The personality of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we see this best in John 14, 16, where he's described the Greek terminology. The Greek word is paraclete. And the paraclete is, is a person, one, who comes alongside me to help me for all of us who trust in Christ. Jesus was the first. The Holy Spirit is the second paraclete. And, and it's a real person. It's not an entity. It's not a, a ghost. It is a real person who lives, who lives in me, who comes alongside me to equip me, to help me in times of distress. And I don't know about you, but I certainly need the help of the Holy Spirit right now. We are in distress in a lot of ways, but we don't have to live without hope because we know that the Spirit of the living God is in us and living in us and through us and equipping us for whatever it is that we have to face. A real, personal spirit. The Holy Spirit is someone to be experienced, not something to be talked about. So let's look now at the power of the Spirit. How, how does the Holy Spirit's power displayed? Um, the power of the Spirit is what He does. We see this in, de- in several ways. We see it first in relation to the Scriptures. Uh, the Scriptures, of course, the Bible... Uh, God's word, God's revelation of himself to man, we see that the reason the Bible is accurate, the reason the Bible is trustworthy, the reason the Bible is one story continuous from beginning to end is because the Holy Spirit was in the entire process of, of, 
of directing the minds of the writers to what to write, uh, to uh, what was put on the page, to the completion of the Bible, what we call the canonization of Scripture, which is the, the process of how the Bible became complete. It is the complete, inerrant Word of God. Well, the Holy Spirit was in that entire process. Every writer that ever wrote, that ever recorded an event, put something down on paper. The Holy Spirit was inspiring them and directing their thoughts and their pens as they recorded those words. That's why it is accurate. The Holy Spirit was involved in the entire process from composition to completion of the Scriptures. And here's what the Bible says about the inspiration of Scriptures. Second Peter one twenty one. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man, instead men spoke from God as they were moved or inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was continually active in the process of, of, of composition uh, and, and completion, to completion of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit also has a role in our comprehension of the Bible. You can't truly understand the Scriptures, the Bible, unless the Holy Spirit gives you understanding. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. Yeah, you can know the facts of the Bible, but you aren't transformed by the Bible unless the Holy Spirit is living in and through you, doing the transforming. You don't really know the Scriptures until the Holy Spirit gives you understanding of the Scriptures. Any of us, God has spoken through His Scriptures. And, you know, God has spoken through His Scriptures uh, to our specific situation this week. Uh, It is a wonderful, miraculous thing to study God's Word, to understand God's Word, and to have the Holy Spirit speak through God's Word to your specific situation. I shared a couple of instances already this week, one being in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 5. We are going through a church-wide, a a Bible reading plan, and, and we all are walking through this together. And I've been amazed to watch how God has spoken to our current situation this week. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 3, this is not on the screen or in your notes, but I want to read it for you. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Anybody felt like they've been afflicted this week? Uh, Endurance produces proven character. Character is built through adversity in no other way. Our characters are being built, God says, through this. Any trial that we face and proven character produces hope. The more your character builds, your faith increases, the more you're secure in the hands of God, and you feel the assurance of salvation. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given unto us. Now notice that through who? The Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit is who comforts us and who teaches us in times like this. As we, as we go to God's Word, which we should always, but in times like this, as we dig deep, and dive into God's Word. The Holy Spirit shows us what God is doing. Not all of what God is doing, but He shows us how God uses this. Not all the answers to the whys, but how. How, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? He shows us, I want to build your character. I want to draw you closer to me. I want to increase your faith. Because I believe God's preparing us for greater work after this is over with. And maybe it took a pandemic to get us all to stop. Stop. 
and focus on him and pay attention to what he has to tell us. Increased faith, all of those things. And then I also noticed 2 Kings 5, uh, chapter 5 this week. Naaman, he was the leader of the Aramean army and he had leprosy and, and he wanted to be healed and, and ultimately he goes to the, the prophet Elisha and, and Elisha tells him, if you want to be healed, you go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times. Well, that didn't fit Naaman's expectations. He expected that, that Elisha would, would do a ceremony and that he was important enough, I guess, that, that, that Elisha would wave his hands over him and pray in front of everybody and heal him in a dramatic fashion. Instead, he told him to do something he never would have expected. Thankfully, though, Naaman got over himself, and he went and he washed seven times, and he experienced the healing power of God. Now, God works in ways that we don't expect and don't understand, and I don't understand all of what's going on in our lives this week, but if we obey him, whatever he tells us to do, if we dive into his word, if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to direct us, then we will be in a position to experience the power of God in a powerful way in our lives individually but also in this church and his church then there's the holy spirit's power in relation to the savior that's in relation to the scriptures what about the savior jesus christ in john 15 25 jesus says that the spirit would testify about him which he has and does in john 16 14 jesus says he shall glorify me which he does he has and he does throughout scriptures i mean even just looking through the gospels Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, we see the Holy Spirit. There's no jealousy between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. I mean, every opportunity that we see, the Spirit takes every opportunity to testify to, to testify of, and to give glory to Jesus Christ as the one and only Son of God, the Savior of the world. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, testifies to the Son. There are manifestations we see in Jesus' life, of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life, in two primary ways. One, we see the Holy Spirit's power in the words that Jesus spoke with authority. And we see it in the works that Jesus performs with power in his ministry as he heals and he performs all of these mighty acts on earth. We see the Holy Spirit working through him. But I want to look for the next few moments at the Holy Spirit's presence at crucial points in Jesus' life. And we'll walk through these together. Uh, One is is the preparation for for Jesus' ministry by John the Baptist. How do we know this? Well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, for he, John the Baptist, will be great, talking about his purpose, what he would be. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with with the Holy Spirit while he's in the mother's womb. The Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist while he was in his mother's womb, preparing him for his preparation of Jesus' ministry and what he was going to do, ultimately his sacrifice, preparing the hearts of people for what Jesus was coming to do, his, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We also see the Holy Spirit's presence at the conception of Jesus. In Matthew 1.18, the birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant or conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, One of the ways that we know Jesus was sinless is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by man. And that's what makes his birth miraculous. It was the Holy Spirit. 
And then the baptism of Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 10, as soon as he came up out of the water, after he was baptized, he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And that marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You know, it's interesting that Jesus did not preach a sermon or perform a miracle until after he was anointed, after this moment where he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And then we see the Spirit's presence at the temptation of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The Spirit led him in the wilderness to be tempted, but he didn't leave him there. The Spirit was with him the entire time he was being tempted. And the Spirit, if you and I will depend on him and obey him whenever we are tempted, uh, he will be with us to strengthen us and to face that temptation, to resist that temptation. We see the Holy Spirit's presence at Jesus' first sermon. And we see that that sermon was preached in the power of the Spirit, Luke 4, 14. We see the Holy Spirit's presence at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus declared, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. The Holy Spirit was on him, Jesus says anointed him, prepared him, equipped him to preach. And then we see the Holy Spirit's presence at the cross of Jesus where he gave his life. He went to the cross. Hebrews 9, 14 tells us in the eternal spirit. And then, thankfully, we see the presence of the spirit at the resurrection of Jesus when he was raised from the dead, conquering death. He was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 1, 4 tells us. And then we see in Jesus' promise of power to his followers. That power comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, Jesus says, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in promising the Spirit, he's making available to us his power to be his witnesses, to serve him. And then in the Great Commission, Jesus, the last thing he says to us before he ascends to heaven, he tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples, he says. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always. That's important. I am with you always even to the end of the age. How is he with us today? He's with us in the form of the Holy Spirit living in us. We've seen the Holy Spirit's power as it relates to the Savior. Now let's look at how it relates to the sinner. I mean, listen, we are all sinners, all of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some, though, know Christ and have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Some of us haven't accepted Christ. And if you are in that camp, there is a a primary way the Holy Spirit in all of our lives, saved and unsaved, but initially at the point where you realize your need for Jesus, the main work of the Holy Spirit in the life of any sinner is conviction. If we don't know Christ, the first work of the Holy Spirit in your life is going to be that he shows you that you, like all of us, have fallen short of God's glory, that you've messed up, and we all have, but he also shows that there's forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. 
In John 16, 8, when he, the spirit of, of truth, comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Break that down, sin. The Holy Spirit shows me the awfulness of my sin. That, that what I've done, uh, it, it hurts me, it hurts the people around me, but it hurts God. It grieves him. And the Holy Spirit shows me that it separates me from God. The destruction of my sin, and the Holy Spirit convicts me of that. It, it talks about righteousness, John sixteen eight says. And, and in terms of righteousness, the Holy Spirit shows us that compared to Christ's righteousness, anything that I would do that I consider righteous, it's filthy rags compared to that. Um, but the Holy Spirit shows me. Isaiah 64, verse 6, all of us have become like something unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like polluted garments or filthy rags. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. And it also shows us that the righteousness that God demands, that he expects, he is holy, he is God. And he has to, he cannot have sin in his presence. He, he demands righteousness, or else he wouldn't be perfect. But the righteousness that he demands doesn't come from anything I do. Thankfully, I can't earn it. There's nothing I can do. It comes by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that shows us our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus Christ. And then about judgment, the Holy Spirit shows us that there is judgment for sin and that one day we will all stand before God in judgment. But the only way we escape punishment for sin, we will all stand in judgment, but the only way we escape punishment for sin is if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit directs us to that Savior and to the forgiveness that we can have. But we, if we do accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have the promise of an eternity with Him. And this is an eternity without all of the trials, the sickness, the difficulties of life on earth. Life is good. I love my life. I love my family. I love a lot about my life, but I don't enjoy sickness, and I don't enjoy quarantines. I don't enjoy all of what we are having to deal with right now. But one day, I can look past this, and I can see that one day I will be in the presence of Jesus in heaven where there is no suffering, there is no sickness, there's no death, there's no trials, tribulations. There's only his glorious presence, perfection. For all of eternity, the Holy Spirit shows us that we can have hope, assurance in Jesus Christ and in salvation. And then there's the Holy Spirit's power in relation to those who are saved, to those who have accepted Jesus Christ. And it works really in two ways, in the personal life of believers, those who are saved, and it works in the corporate life of the church. Uh, the Holy Spirit manifests His presence and works in different ways in individuals and in, and in groups, the church, the body of Christ. In believers, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life of every believer. If you are a child of God, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives within you. Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So, if you have the Spirit, you are saved. If you don't, then you're not saved. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. His role in the New Testament in the life of the church and the life of believers is that he, once we accept Christ, he takes up residence. And that is a once and for all event. Uh, there's a the misunderstanding that the Spirit comes and goes. No, it is a once and for all event. 
Once you are saved, the Spirit lives in you. Now, the Bible talks about being filled daily with the Spirit. That is different. And that is dependent upon certain things. It is dependent upon maybe whether or not I am seeking the Lord. It's dependent upon my spiritual condition. Am I growing in my faith? Am I spending time with the Lord and in His Word? I'm not going to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's there, but I'm not going to have His presence manifested in special ways to equip me and empower me. I'm not going to be able to resist sin as, as, as I would be because I'm not depending on Him. I'm not trusting in Him daily. It could have to do with obedience. Has God called me to do something, and I'm not doing it? Well, there, there is now a barrier between me and God. I'm still saved. The Spirit's still there, but I'm not walking in fellowship with God, so I'm not filled with the Spirit like I should. And also, sometimes God calls us to do things that we can't do in our own strength. Most of the time, if not all the time, when God calls us to a task, it's a task that we can't complete in our own strength. And in those instances, the Holy Spirit fills us and equips us with what we need to perform that task. And in the end, God gets all the glory because we know we couldn't have done that on our own. Those are examples of fillings, infillings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always there, but we are filled in unique ways as we obey Him and walk with Him and serve Him and grow in Him. So there's a difference, but that's the Holy Spirit manifesting His presence in our lives at the moment we are saved and then we are filled at different times for different reasons, for different purposes, and as a result of of growth in different ways. In addition to taking up residence in our lives and in filling our lives, there are other ministries of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at those uh, together. He teaches us all things the Spirit does. If we're going to learn to understand the Bible, but to learn as we grow in Christ, the Spirit does the teaching. John 14, 26, the counselor of the Holy Spirit The Father will send him in my name, Jesus says. And the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. Um, The Holy Spirit teaches us, gives us understanding, and then brings the Word of God back to our minds and hearts when we face situations where it applies. He guides us into all truth. John 16, 13, when when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on His own, but He will speak whatever He hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. I don't know about you, but I need, I need truth right now in my life. Um, I need to know what's true and what's not. It's hard to decide, and it's hard to decipher um, from all the different sources of information that we get. Depending on what channel you turn on, you're going to get a different story. Uh, what website you look at, you're going to get either something that is absolutely true or something that somebody put out there just to see who would believe it. I want truth in my life right now. And I know that when I come to this book, the inspired Word of God, I know that this is truth. And the Holy Spirit shows me truth. And He helps me to understand this truth and apply it to my life. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. He guides us into all truth. And He seals us until the day of redemption. He seals us. Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. I want to see if I can help us understand that. Um, What does it mean to be sealed by the Holy Spirit? Well, you think of it this way. I've got uh, two different, same type of paper in two different forms here. Uh, This is just copier paper. I I took it out of the office. Um, I'll reimburse the church later. Uh, But I took it out of the office. Same paper, two different forms, all right? One is just 
as you would get it out of the package, and one I've laminated. And here's what makes this interesting. If you just take this one sheet of paper, it's not very strong by itself, right? I mean, I can tear it, tear it very easily. Very easy to tear. Now, you can try this. If you've got access to a laminator, don't take my word for it. Try it. You, you take this that's been laminated and try to tear it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a good actor. I'm not acting here. This is, I mean, you can't, I mean, it's, it's pretty tough. You can try this at home. I mean, you might make a, you might stretch it a little bit, but I mean, you're not going to tear it. Why is it so strong? Well, it's been sealed by this laminator. This little packet that you stick the paper in, you stick it through the machine, it heats it up and it seals it and makes it be able to withstand. That's why you laminate paper so it won't tear, so it won't crinkle. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. You may get sick. Hope you don't. I pray that you don't. You may get hurt, but ultimately, if you belong to Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are sealed by his power. That even if the worst, the unthinkable happened, even if death came, you are sealed and protected because nothing can harm you from an eternal perspective. Regardless of what happens in life, This circumstance, this life is not God's final plan for you. If you are his, you are sealed for the day you will be seeing him face to face in heaven. So I don't have to worry about pandemics. can be concerned, and I am. I don't have to worry about what tomorrow is going to bring because I know what eternity will bring. I'm sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what that verse is telling us. And that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. Until the day Jesus will either, either will go home to be with the Lord or he comes back and takes his church to be with him, we are sealed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We are also sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He makes us more like Jesus each day as we follow him and listen to the truth of God's word and obey the truth of God's word. We grow like to be like Christ. In Romans fifteen sixteen, Paul recalls God's call Verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's the the primary group he was called to, serving as a priest of God's good news. My purpose, he says, is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Um, We sanctified, Paul was sanctified. Those he called, his purpose was that they grow to be like Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit's work in and through us that molds us and shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and fifth, the, the Holy Spirit empowers us for witnessing. And again, Acts 1.8, uh, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. That you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered to share the gospel, to witness to others. And then he assures us of our salvation. Romans 8.16 The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And again, going back to being sealed, I'm thankful that that during this time I have assurance of salvation, that I don't have to worry about uh, where I'm going to spend eternity. And it's the Holy Spirit's presence in my life that gives me assurance of salvation. He also produces fruit. What do we mean by fruit? Well, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us what that is, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When you see these characteristics in people's lives, it is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Peace in the midst of trials and tribulations. Patience, waiting on God to make sense of everything that, that we're dealing with. Kindness, people that are kind to one another, who help each other and serve each other during times like this. Goodness, goodness in, in terms of God's goodness. And faith, having faith, trusting in God, and not panicking, not worrying, uh, giving their anxieties to the Lord, gentleness, self-control, all of these things. These can only be produced when the Holy Spirit of God lives in and through us. But we see also, that's in the individual's life, the believer, but also in the life of the church. And this is where we'll finish today. The work of the Holy Spirit is indispensable in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit to the church is like electricity to a machine. Our food or water to you and me. We, we have to have it to survive. And uh, the, the church, which is, we have learned this week, is not the building that we're in. It is the body of Christ. All of you who are members of the body of Christ, Wall Highway, but other churches, uh, wherever you're worshiping today, if you are saved, you are a member of the body of Christ. Now, we need to join a local church like Wall Highway, but we are the body of Christ. And what makes us the body of Christ is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the life of the church, this church, any church, it's not committees or programs or, or things like that that give the church power and meaning and purpose. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us power, and gives us purpose, and gives us direction. We cannot survive without the Holy Spirit in our lives individually and in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit works in the church. Uh, we see it primarily in two ways, um, and, and a lot of things can fall into these categories, uh, especially the second, how we accomplish the second, but one is worship, and there are three primary elements in our worship, and all three should be motivated, directed, bathed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, prayer is one. I believe that the prayer life of every individual in every church would be transformed if we truly understood what the Holy Spirit does in and through our praying. Um, we see in Romans eight twenty six, in the same way the Spirit also joins to help in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray for as we should. Man, how applicable is that right now? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. There have been a lot of times in the past two weeks that I have gone before the Lord, and I didn't really even know what to pray for because I didn't know what was coming next. Every time we made a decision, that decision was changed ten times because something changed it ten times. Information coming down. What we were going to do as a church, whether or not we were going to meet, uh, how many people could meet in a room, all of those things. And there were times I went before the Lord and said, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And I don't know what to pray for, but you do. And the, the, the scripture tells us that in those moments, the Holy Spirit, he knows. We may not, but he knows. And we can say, Spirit, I don't know what to pray for, but you do pray for me. And the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and delivers them, makes sense out of them and delivers them to God Almighty. And he hears our prayers and we have the promise that he will answer our prayers in his time Maybe not when we want, and in his way, maybe not the way that we want. We may not get the answer that we get, but he will hear them and answer them. Also, through our praise and the corporate life of the church, a lot of our praise is done through singing, which we have done this morning. 
In Ephesians 5.19, we're told to use psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. So what's a spiritual song? Well, a spiritual song is a song that's inspired by the Spirit. Um, Not a style, but a song that's inspired by the Spirit. And it will inevitably bless the hearts of the people who hear that song. Spiritual songs of praise should be an integral part of our worship. And they are. The Spirit must be prominent in our praise. And I'm thankful for our worship pastor, Brother Luke, and our worship team, and normally our choir, who's here with us on Sunday morning, who do that every week, who lead us in spiritual songs. And you got to experience that, all of us, from your home today. You got to experience that. But then there's preaching. Preaching is, is part of the worship that we participate in every week, what I'm doing right now. And the secret If you look throughout the the Gospels and the Apostles through the New Testament, the secret to their success was that the Holy Spirit was the one who was preaching through them. Their preaching was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I fully realize, as a preacher, that for your hearts to be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be impacted, that my heart has to first be impacted by what I'm preaching to you today. I have to be changed And then, as I deliver it in the power of the Spirit, your heart will be impacted. Charles Carter said this. He said, we preachers need to ask the Holy Spirit before every worship service to anoint our lips, to pour fire into our hearts, to inflame our souls, and to make us dynamic, blazing evangels, pointing men to God. That's a good good little point of advice there for all of us who preach. For any of us who share the Word of God at all, in any circumstance, in any situation, But there's also the witness of the church. We've looked at the worship of the church. The Holy Spirit is active in the witness of the church. As we've seen, you know, the primary purpose of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit was to empower us to be his witnesses. Acts 1.8 again, the the Holy Spirit uh, that I will give you. You will be uh, my witnesses. You, You will receive power and be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And the early church did just that. was empowered to witness throughout the Bible, there is not a single record where you see anyone being filled with the Spirit and then the result was that other people came to Christ. There's not a single record where that did not happen. When we see people being filled with the Spirit, we see other people coming to Christ because they shared what they had just received with those people around them. Now, one quick word of warning before we're done today. Um, I've got... Uh, some water, a glass, and a funnel here uh, that, that I just kind of want to illustrate this point. You know, we, I started this message talking about how, you know, we can pervert the Holy Spirit, misunderstand the Holy Spirit, and we've read about how we can actually quench the Holy Spirit, talked about how we can, we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are ways that we can block the power of God. Now, God is sovereign. He's all-powerful, but he gives us that choice to where we can either accept him or reject him. And even as believers, we can either obey him and accept his direction for us and his power, or we can resist him. And I want to just give a word of warning. Uh, Don't do that, because here's what happens. You've got a glass here, and we're going to say that the glass is us, and and the funnel kind of serves the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit enters our life, he is the funnel through which the power of God flows in our life. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't have the power of God. And so, when it's uninhibited, 
The funnel does its purpose. The water flows freely. Now, take it and make one change, pretty important change, just paper towel, and plug up that hole real nice and well. Block that flow of water, and what's going to happen? You may experience the Holy Spirit in some ways, but ultimately the Holy Spirit's power is going to be blocked from your life. I mean, that's what happens through disobedience if we don't obey God. He calls us to do something for him, and we say, no, I, it's not, it doesn't fit my schedule or my life right now. If we don't spend time in his word and we don't spend time in prayer, we're blocking the flow of God's power and his strength in our lives. You know, if we aren't growing spiritually, then we're blocking the flow of power, all of those things that we've already talked about. And so whatever it is, if you don't feel the power of God in your life, either you don't know him as Lord and Savior, you don't know Jesus Christ, you haven't accepted the salvation that he provides through his death, burial, and resurrection, or you're a believer and you're not living in obedience, there's something you're not doing that God's called you to do, or there's, there's an area in your life where you're not growing, you're blocking the power of the Holy Spirit, and if, if that's you, go before the Lord and pray and, and, and seek his face, seek his forgiveness for whatever you're doing or have done, and get right with him so that you can experience the power of God as you were intended to experience. We all need God's power in our lives. Regardless of who we are or where we are, we desperately need God's power in our lives individually and in the life of the church. And as the church rediscovers the power of the Holy Spirit, as we submit to God's power in our lives, we will see him do things I believe that we've never seen before. Ways, see him work in ways that we can never imagine. Our greatest need today in our lives and in the church is that this doctrine, what we've talked about, that the Holy Spirit, we would rediscover the person and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and that he would be free to work in and through our lives, to control our lives. You see, Really, all this boils down to is an issue of surrender, submission. Who's in control of my life? Is it me or is it God? Is the Spirit guiding me and directing me? Am I surrendering to Him each day? Lord, this is your life. This is, I'm yours. You, you show me where to go and what to do. Or am I setting my own agenda, trying to solve all my own problems? Because if I do that, I'll block the power of the Holy Spirit. But if I'm surrendered daily, then he will be free to work and to accomplish his purpose in my life. Now, as we take what we've learned today and we move forward, there are a couple of ways that we can respond to this. One is maybe initial surrender. Um, and I invite you wherever you are just to ask the Lord to show you how he wants you to respond to what you've heard today from his word. You know, there may be some of you there today, and I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about being a believer, and, and, and you, don't, you don't really know what that is. I've shared with you in a couple of different instances what that means, but here, here's the reality. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory, but Jesus, God himself, sent his son. God became flesh. He became man, and Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life so that he could die on the cross and take on your sin and my sin. 
And he died for those sins, paid the price for those sins so that you and I wouldn't have to. But here's how you receive that forgiveness for your sin. You have to invite him into your life. You have to ask him to forgive you. You don't have to understand all of what being a Christian means, but you have to recognize that you need forgiveness and that only Jesus can give it to you. And you can cry out to God where you are and just say, Jesus, come into my life. I know I've done things wrong, and I know that you are the only one who can forgive me. And You can do that right where you are and ask him to come into your life and forgive you. And here's the thing. You don't have to know what to do next. We will help you know what to do next. That same slide that you saw at the beginning of our time together today is is coming up again. And if you have asked Jesus into your heart, if you want more information about our church, if you want to know uh, any, anything about how this applies to your life, or if you have a need, uh, some, something that we can do to help you. We have, we have staff, ministerial staff. We have deacons here that are anxious and ready to serve you. You contact us in one of those ways. You can message us on Facebook where you are right now, and we will respond to you. Uh, and we will, we will discover your need and how we can help you, and we will do our best to meet your need. We will work together. And if you have accepted Christ, we will share with you what you need to do next. Um, If you want more information about this church family, we'll share that with you as well. For all of us, as we worship this way for the next few weeks, however long that is, um, we are going to continue to worship together, and we are going to continue the ministry of the church. And now this, this is what we would normally call our time of commitment, where we have opportunities to respond to what we have just heard. And that I've given you one way to do that. Well, we as a church family, and I'm talking primarily to, to Wall, High, Wall Highway church members right now, one of the things that we do during this time of commitment is, is an act of obedience and an act of faith where we give our tithes and our offerings. And, 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 and this, is, this is the time that we do that. And while we can't do that together, you can do that from where you are. You can go on our website, wallhighway.com, and you can click on resources and click on online giving, and you can give right now as an act of worship. Maybe when we get finished here, uh, after we have a time of prayer, you can do that together as a family. And and parents, you can teach your kids what this is all about, that we give our tithes, that we give our offerings as an act of faith because we trust God not just in times like this, but all the time we, we give what he asks us to give. Uh, and so you can do that as an act of worship where you are. Um, but, but I want to finish today just by leading us through a time of prayer. And this will be the last thing that we do together this morning. And I'm just going to direct our time of prayer. And you pray as I direct or however the Spirit directs you. And we're going to pray about the coronavirus. And, and, and I'm going to show you some ways that we can pray during this time. So let's bow uh, before the Lord together and go before the Lord together. Let me encourage you to, wherever you are, to pray for those who are sick. Pray for their families. There are people who are sick right now, and they don't, they're uncertain about their futures. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would heal them and comfort them and their families. Let me encourage you, pray for the poor. You know, the poor are the ones that are always hit the hardest in times of crisis. Lord, I pray for those who are physically poor they don't know how they're going to pay their bills they don't know where their next meal is going to come from and they don't know if they're going to be well tomorrow be with them give them peace send people in their lives to meet their needs use the church use us to meet their needs let us be willing to do that pray for God to use this virus the coronavirus to bring 
revival in our nation. Lord God, use this to draw us to you. Remind us of our need for you, not just in times of crisis, but always. Let me encourage you to pray for our national leaders. Lord, give them wisdom as they make decisions. Fill them with your spirit. Lord, let them turn to you for wisdom and guidance. Direct their thoughts and their actions, their decisions. Pray that God would use this crisis not only to bring revival, but to bring our divided nation together. Lord, we know that you can, but Lord, we pray that you will bring us together, united not under a human leader, but under your leadership, your authority. Help us to submit to you and to unite under you. And last but not least, pray for this virus to be eliminated. God, we pray that what the evil one meant for harm might be a way for you to show your power in a miraculous way and give us a reason as if we didn't already have one, but to give us another reason to show and to share how you have rescued our world once again. God, we pray that you would use this to accomplish a mighty purpose, that you would be with us daily as we face the challenges that we face, that you would draw us to yourself, that we would seek your face. We would draw close to you and depend on you. We thank you for your presence in our lives and the power that you give us each day to face the challenges of the day. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us this morning, wherever you are. I pray the Lord will bless you, that he will keep you healthy and safe, and that you will discover his power in your life. May God bless you.